are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, this evening, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2 this evening. And uh, what a wonderful thing it is to be in the house of God again. Many times I'm afraid that we fail to appreciate what we have until we lose it. And uh, so I hope this absence from the house of God has stirred in your heart afresh and anew an appreciation uh, for the privilege to be here. Revelation chapter number two this evening. If you found your place, I'll ask you to stand to your feet if you're physically able as we read our scripture text tonight. I know that normally on Wednesday evening we do not read together, uh, but you're way behind. You've missed a number of services. And so I want to hear you read. And so we're going to read together tonight, Revelation chapter number two. This evening, I want us just to read the opening three verses, verses one, two, and three. We'll read aloud together and let's endeavor to stay together as we read. Revelation chapter two, beginning in verse number one, ready, begin. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the wonderful privilege to gather in your house with your people, to lift our voices and sing your praise, to be able to give out of that which you blessed us with back into your work, and Lord, then tonight to be able to open the word of God and to hear from you, and I pray that that may happen tonight. May you speak to our hearts Lord, for just a little while, may we put aside plans for tomorrow and memories of yesterday, and may we give you our undivided attention. May we listen with attentive ears, but most importantly, may we listen with receptive hearts to the message that you have for us this hour. May your people be helped, and may you be honored and glorified, and we'll thank you for it, for we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our text for this evening comes from the pen of the Apostle John as he experiences his exile on the Isle of Patmos. It was during that period of extreme difficulty in the life of John that God used him to do what perhaps would be his greatest work. Can I say to you, in an hour of difficulty, do not be discouraged. Do not be downcast. Do not become disillusioned because it may just be that in that hour of difficulty, God is using you to do the greatest work that you will do in your life. John is in an awful place. He's in a circumstance that is not good. He's under conditions that are trying. 
And yet God uses John in the midst of that to pen this great book we call the book of Revelation. And for the next several weeks, as Pastor mentioned, we'll be looking at these letters to the seven churches found in Revelation chapter two and chapter number three. And as we begin, there's some things that I think are important for us to consider. Uh, First of all, I wanna remind you that these letters, each one addresses a primary situation. That is, all seven of these churches were literal churches, just like we sit in tonight. They were bodies of believers that had been born again, been baptized, and who united together to advance the cause of Christ. They were people just like you and I. And in every church, there was a particular situation, a particular issue, a problem that the Lord had to address. By the way, that ought to give you hope. That ought to encourage you. There are no perfect churches. Every church has a situation. Every church has an issue. Every church has a difficulty. And by the way, God does not ignore those difficulties nor pass over those situations. He strives to deal with them by his words. And can I say, in our church, when we have an issue, God wants to speak to our hearts through his word, and he wants to deal with that issue. So in every letter, uh, it addresses a primary situation. Could I say this? Each letter reveals a perennial reality. Now, you know what perennials are, don't you? That's the flowers that you plant one time and you never have to plant again. Next year, they just come up again. And then the next year they come up again. And the next year they come up again. They're perennials. They always reappear in the proper season. Can I say these problems that existed in these seven churches, these different issues, they have always existed to some extent in every church throughout the entire church age. You could look and one church may have a particular problem that is more manifest, But if we can look in every heart, if we can look behind every door, if we can open up every mind, you would discover that in North Valley Baptist Church tonight, there exists in some element every one of the issues that will be dealt with in dealing with these seven churches. It has always been that way. It always will be that way. And so God has prepared the answer for those situations as they arise. Not only do each one address a primary situation and reveal a perennial reality, every one of these letters give a prophetic foretaste of what God has planned for the future. You see, these churches lay out for us, if you will go and study sometime, they set before us a panoramic view of church history beginning with Pentecost and carrying us all the way through to the rapture of the church. If you would look at these churches and parallel them with the, uh, the record of church history throughout the church age, you would find that these churches set out for us a prophetic picture of how the church will exist of what the characteristics will be from age to age, the strengths, the weaknesses, the battles they will face until we come to the last church, the church of Laodicea, and that is the day and age in which you and I live is the Laodicean church age. But each one of these letters, yes, they address a primary situation, that is true. Each one reveals a perennial reality, that is true. Each one gives a prophetic foretaste, That is most certainly true. 
But could I say that each one of these letters contains a personal application? You say, how do you know that, Brother Bertram? How can you say that? Well, because I just read what the Bible says. Look with me at verse uh, number seven of chapter number two. Here's how John will conclude the letter to the church at Ephesus. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. As he writes to the church at Smyrna, he says in verse number 11, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. As he writes to the church in Pergamos, verse 17, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. As he writes to the church at Thyatira, verse number 29, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. As he writes to the church at Sardis, chapter three and verse number six, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Verse number uh, uh, 13 of chapter three, as he writes to the church of Philadelphia, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And as he writes to the church of the Laodiceans, verse number 22 of chapter three, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Could I say this, uh, these next several weeks as we go through these, there is a personal message for me in every letter. There is a personal message for you in every letter. And if we have ears to hear, we must hear and give heed to what the Spirit of God has to say to these churches and make application in our own life. So tonight, let's attune our ears to what the Lord has to say to us and see what God will do in our hearts and in our lives. Now this evening, we begin with the first letter. And it's a letter to the church at Ephesus. We read in chapter number two and verse number one, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus right. As we consider the church of Ephesus, there are several things we could note about it. Think with me about the particulars concerning this church. First of all, this was a church that was strategically located. I mean, they were in a prime area. The city of Ephesus was an important place in the Roman Empire. It was the location of a great harbor, uh, it was uh, home to a busy seaport that was engaged in commerce and transporting goods and people to all parts of the Roman Empire. It was there that the great temple of the goddess Diana was located. Uh, historians tell us that it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Ephesus was a thriving religious and political and commercial center. And there in that great place, there in the midst of all of this coming and going, there in the midst of all of this commercialism, there in the midst of all of this false religion, God had strategically located a church, a church to proclaim the gospel, a church to tell people the answer to their problems, a church to give them hope in a time of discouragement, a church to shine a light in a dark world. It was a church that was strategically located. They were in the right place at the right time and God had seen fit to place that church there for that season. They were strategically located. Could I say to you very quickly, not only were they strategically located, but they were a church that was exceptionally blessed. I, I wish you could look at the history of the church at Ephesus. They had been the beneficiaries of some tremendous things. I mean, you think about it. The presence and the influence of the Apostle Paul had been in their midst 
continuously for three, a space of three years. You say, how do you know that? Well, Acts chapter number 20. Paul is addressing the elders at Ephesus. He's getting ready to leave. And he says this in verse number 31. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. The apostle Paul had been in their midst. He had preached in that pulpit. He had taught those Sunday school classes. He had been busy counseling people. He had been busy working in the ministry. Oh, can you imagine what it must be to be a church that was blessed by having not just a letter from the Apostle Paul, not just a word from the Apostle Paul, not just a passing visit from the Apostle Paul as he journeyed on his travels, but for him to stop, to take up residence, and for three years, every day and every night and every week, to sit under the sound of his voice and to hear what he had to say as he instructed and taught and counseled that church. My, what a blessed church they were to have the ministry of the Apostle Paul given to them for the space of three years. But then the time came when Paul had to depart. And as Paul left, when we turn to 1 Timothy chapter number one and verses two and three, we discover that when Paul left, he left behind someone to take his place, someone to take up the work, someone to carry on the ministry. And lo and behold, they were left with this man by the name of Timothy to carry on the work at the church at Ephesus. I mean, I would say you were blessed to have the Apostle Paul, but then you add on top that not only did you have the Apostle Paul, but now you had Apostle Paul Jr. That's what he called him. He said, he's my own son in the faith. He said, he he is my protege. He's the one I've taught. He's the one I've instructed. He's the one I've trained. And now Timothy takes over the church at Ephesus. And as if that were not enough, history tells us that later on, the apostle John himself came and pastored the church at Ephesus. Now, can you imagine what a track record Can you imagine you say, well, you know, I'd like to join the church at Ephesus. I'm kind of interested in your history. What pastors have you had here? Well, we had the Apostle Paul for several years. And then following him, we had this man, I don't know if you've heard of him or not. His name was Timothy. And then after that, uh, you know, we, we had the Apostle John, you know, the one that described himself as the one whom Jesus loved, the one who leaned on the breast of our Lord Jesus Christ himself when he walked on earth. Those were our pastors. They were exceptionally blessed. By the way, as if that were not enough, as far as I can tell, the church at Ephesus is the only church to receive a divinely inspired letter from two different apostles. They received the letter, the epistle to the Ephesians from the Apostle Paul. And here in Revelation chapter two and verses one through seven, they receive a letter from the Apostle John. Man, not only did they have great pastors, but they even received inspired, divinely inspired messages personally directed to them individually, specifically by name as a church. Could I just say this? They most certainly were exceptionally blessed. Not only were they strategically located, not only were they exceptionally blessed, but could I tell you they were fiercely opposed. Any work for God will face opposition. And the greater the work for God, 
the greater the opposition will be. You say, well, I wish we just didn't have such big battles. Well, don't do anything big for God. You say, why do we have such fierce opposition? Because we're doing such a great work. Nobody bothered Nehemiah until he started doing a great work of building the wall. And then they said, come down, come down and talk with us. He said, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. I must carry it through, I must finish it. Despite the opposition, despite what people are saying, I'm going to finish the work God gave me to do. Oh, this church at Ephesus faced some severe opposition. You can read about it in Acts chapter 19 and Acts chapter number 20. The hard-hearted Jews spake evil of the work. I don't know whether they used Twitter or Facebook. I just know that they spake evil of the work. Those of the school of Tyrannus disputed daily concerning the teachings of the church. The silversmiths in the city stirred up a riot against the church. The peddlers of idolatry hurled false accusations against the work of God. Oh, they faced opposition. Can I say, uh, Jesus said uh, that, that we're to count it all joy when we suffer these things. When we're suffering for the name of Christ and for the cause of Christ, don't be discouraged. Count it as a badge of honor. The disciples, when they were arrested and when they were beating, uh, when they were beaten, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. It was a church that was strategically located. It was a church that was exceptionally blessed and fiercely opposed. Could I just say this tonight? They were a church that was outwardly sound. The Lord says this in verse number two. He says, I know. Could I just say this? God knows. By the way, you'll discover if you read through these letters to the seven churches, he says the same thing to every church. He starts out with the phrase, I know. I know. You may fool some people, but you're not going to fool God. You may have the wool pulled over some people's eyes, but God is not deceived. God is not confused. God is not misled. God is not mistaken. God knows exactly what is going on in every church. And he looks at the church of Ephesus and he says, I know. What do you know, Lord? I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. God looks at them and he says, I know that you are a fervent church. I mean, look, you're working, you're laboring, you're being patient despite the opposition, despite the attacks that have come against them, despite the false accusations that have been hurled against them. They continue to work, they continue to labor, they continue to wait on God. I say praise God for the church at Ephesus. Would God, we had more churches like the church at Ephesus at this point. Oh, we need to work and we need to labor and we need to have patience. They were a fervent church. Could I say this? They were a fundamental church. He said, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Can I say the church at Ephesus preached against moral corruption? I believe the church at Ephesus probably preached against homosexuality. I believe the church at Ephesus would probably be against abortion. I believe the church at Ephesus was probably against uh, uh, alcohol as a beverage. I believe that the church of Ephesus was against immorality. 
I believe that the church at Ephesus was against a lot of things. In fact, when God writes to them, he says, I know that thou canst not bear them which are evil. It bothers you, it stirs you up, it provokes you to do something, to say something, to speak out, to cry out against it. Oh, how I wish we had churches across America that stood against moral evil. I, I thought this week, this tragedy has unfolded about the death of this man in police custody. There's been a great outcry and a great uproar. My question is just simply this. Where's the outcry? Where's the uproar against the millions of babies that have been aborted? This was an adult man who perhaps had committed a crime. Those are children who have committed absolutely no crime whatsoever except to be conceived in the womb of a woman who hates them. We're all messed up in America. We call good evil and evil good. Not the church in Ephesus. They cried out against moral evil. By the way, not only were they against moral evil, but they stood against ministerial evil as well. He said, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. He said, you haven't just been busy pointing your finger out at the world and the moral wrong that's been going on there. You've been pointing your finger at those in the house of God, those standing behind pulpits who claim that they are apostles, who claim they are doing the work of God. You've tested them by the word of God and you've tried the spirits and you've proved that they are liars. I, I kind of like the church at Ephesus. I'm thinking about transferring my membership. I, in fact, I'm not sure that they would accept me as high a standard as they have, as high a quality of people as they have. I'm not sure that they would want me in their midst. Can I say this is a good church? Not only were they fervent, not only were they fundamental, but they were faithful. Verse number three, thou hast borne and hast patience for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. You know, as far as I can tell, this church to this point has everything that could be desired. But despite all this, despite the fact that they were strategically located, exceptionally blessed, fiercely opposed, outwardly sound, they were tragically drifting. Look at verse number four, nevertheless. God says, despite all these things, despite your fervency, despite your fundamentalism, despite your faithfulness, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Can I just say this? Just as God will not shade the truth and fail to credit us with something we're doing right so God will not shade the truth and fail to rebuke us for something we're doing wrong. The particulars concerning this church, but very quickly note the problem of this church. Thou hast left thy first love. That word left carries with it the idea of giving up, of no longer keeping, in other words, the Lord is saying you have failed to work 
to maintain your first love. You see, they were doing what was right, but not from a heart that was right. The great physician came in for an examination and and after he conducted his exam of the church at Ephesus, he gave the prognosis and he said, here's the problem, you have heart trouble. Could I just say, it's always true with each of us. The heart of the trouble is the heart. Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Could I just say this loss of love is a sign of the last days? Jesus said in his great Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter number 24 concerning the last days, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Could I just say this? They had left their first love, and we must understand that we can serve without love, for they were. But you can't love without serving. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You can sing without loving, but you can't love without singing. You can go through the motions of worship without love, but you can't love without worshiping in spirit and in truth. I'm reminded of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. You see, this church was doing all the things that we would think of, all the external things we would measure them by. They looked really good. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and am not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. You see, they remind me of David's brothers. When Samuel came looking to anoint a king, God told him, I've chosen one of Jesse's sons. And Samuel showed up at the house and every son looked like the exact choice that God would make. But God kept saying, not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one. Samuel said, I must have missed the Lord's voice. Line them up again, Jesse, let's try this again. And God again said, not this one, and not this one, and not this one, and not this one. Samuel didn't understand. He said, what's going on, Lord? The Lord said, I don't see like you see. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God was looking at their heart, and God said, that's a heart that's not right, that's a heart that's not right, that's a heart that's not right. But he said out there on the hillside, watching over the sheep, there's a boy whose heart is right with me. In fact, God describes him as a man after mine own heart. Let me ask you the question tonight. Let's just pause for a second. Let's be honest. 
Is this the North Valley Baptist Church? Is this us? Most certainly, we're fervent. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. I would verify that we are fundamental. Thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Most certainly, this past few months have proven that you're faithful, for you have borne and has patience and for his name's sake has labored and has not fainted. But oh, I wonder, does God look at us tonight and say, nevertheless, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Let me ask you this question. Have you, have I allowed other things to replace Christ in first place in our heart? Does he merely have a prominent place but not the preeminent place? If so, we have left our first love. But could I just say this? It doesn't have to stay this way. The great physician always has a remedy. And here's the prescription very quickly. Verse number five, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Isn't that interesting that he uses that phrase, thou art fallen? When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said in chapter two, and I believe it's verse number six, that you have been raised up and made to set together in heavenly places. When John writes, he doesn't say that you're raised up, but he says that you've fallen. Why? If we've been raised up and made to set together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, he's still raised up. And if we have left our first love, we have abandoned him. He has not abandoned us. And we have fallen from our former estate. Remember how it used to be. Remember how excited you used to be to get to church how you would arrive 45 minutes early and wonder where everybody was at, not knowing that they were all Baptists and been saved for a number of years. <laughs> Remember how thrilled you used to be no matter who sang, no matter who was preaching. Remember when Bible reading was a delight and not a duty. Remember when you figured out how you could possibly give more and didn't try to justify giving less. Remember when you wanted to talk about Jesus more than current events. Remember how it used to be when you first got saved. I mean, when it was just like you couldn't get enough. Preacher said, we're gonna have revival meeting. Woo, hallelujah, I get to go to church every night. Man, I'm so excited, I can't wait. I wanna get there early so I find a seat. I wanna stay late just in case something happens after everything's dismissed. I wanna talk to everybody that'll talk to me. And the one thing I wanna talk about is about Jesus and about what he's done and about who he is and about what he's promised and what we have to look forward to. Remember how it used to be. If it's not like that now, maybe we've left our first love. Why do we leave our first love? The Lord said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Sometimes it's iniquity in the form of being disappointed in others. And all can I say, people will fail you. 
Don't look to me, I'll fail you. It's just a matter of time. Oh, but I can point you to one who will never fail you. Christ is not a disappointment. He's everything he claims to be and more. You can look to him. Could I just say this? Sometimes it's because of the difficulties of life. Sometimes it's because we get discouraged with the results. Could I just say this? I want to remind you that the results are not our responsibility. You realize that the man who sowed the seed, the sower in the parable of the sower, you realize that 75% of his work came to naught? He was only 25% successful. But the problem wasn't the sower and the problem wasn't the seed. The problem was the soil that the seed fell upon. Can I say, let's quit worrying so much about results and let's just worry about pleasing the Lord, being obedient to him, doing what we're supposed to do and leave the results up to God. Remember, depend more than remember, repent. He said, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent. Repentance, it's not hard to understand. It's just simply a change of mind that results in a change of action. You say, how can you say that? Well, because I read in the Bible that the Lord repented. He was going to destroy Nineveh. And when they fell on their faces and cried out to God, the Bible says that the Lord repented of the evil which he said he would do unto them and he did it not. He just changed his mind. He said, look at those people. They were living in wickedness and sin. Now they've fallen on their face. They've put away their wickedness. They've turned and cried out to me. I changed my mind about what I'm gonna do about to them. Instead of doing what I was gonna do, I'm gonna go the opposite direction and I'm gonna be good to them. Amen. Repentance is just simply a change of mind that results in a change of action. So here's what we do. We remember what it used to be like. We acknowledge that we've fallen. So now we're gonna repent. Instead of continuing on this way of letting other things crowd out Christ and take first place, I'm making a conscious decision to put him at the top once again. I'm going to fall in love with Jesus. Like the song says, I just keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I just keep falling in love with him over and over again. Can I just say the greatest thing North Valley Baptist Church could do tonight is fall in love with Jesus all over again. And then return. He said, and do thy first works. How do you fall in love with someone? First of all, you have to spend time together. It's an amazing thing, Golden State Baptist College, you have a kid who comes from the East Coast, a kid who comes from the West Coast, never met each other before, in the third week of school, they're engaged. <laughs> you say, how did that happen? Well, they sat on the bench and looked at each other for 12 hours a day. You know what they did? They spent time, I, I didn't know, they told me a couple, of, I guess it was last year, they told me that they call that cupcaking. I don't know what that has to do with cupcakes, but I mean, they just sit there and they, you walk by, they're not talking. They're just looking at each other. But let me ask you a question. How much time have you spent with Jesus? 
Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. How much time have you spent in his word? How much time have you spent studying about him? How much time have you spent with this home book open singing his praises? Oh, you say, I wish I could get it back like it used to be. You can. It is possible. You can do it. You're just going to have to spend time with him. And it'll come back like it used to be. Not only do you spend time together, but you think about each other. Here's the crazy thing. They spend 12 hours a day sitting on a bench looking at each other. And then when they leave, they text each other while they're walking away. Like, like you know, I'm afraid I'm going to forget them. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we were that way about the Lord? We walked out of church and said, turn on the radio to see what the latest bad news is. Instead of calling up somebody to find out what, what they heard. Instead of getting on Facebook to find out what the latest gossip. We said, you know, that was so good. I just think I'm going to put in this CD of gospel music and I'm going to sing my way home. Maybe if we just think about him more everything else would fade into oblivion. We spend time with one another. We think on one another. And then here's important. Here's what you have to do. I've, I've watched it. I've seen it. Here's what you have to do. If you're really going to fall in love, you have to remove any rivals. Somebody else sitting on that bench, there's trouble in paradise. I want to know what's going on. I want an accounting. I've known you three days and now it's time for you to give an account. Why did you talk to him? Oh, can I say, are there some rivals? Absolutely, they're rivals to his affection and his attention. And you and I are going to have to learn to begin to remove those rivals in our life. Turning off the TV set turning off the radio, putting away that amusement. I'm not saying totally, you have to, but can I tell you, when it becomes a rival, you better eliminate it because it will steal your heart. It's what Absalom did. They had a great king in David, but Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Can I say this? The devil is a thief and he wants to steal your heart and rob you of your first love. You know, some people serve out of debt. Look what God did for me. I ought to serve him. Some people serve out of duty. Well, I'm supposed to. But oh, I want to serve out of devotion. I just want to serve the Lord. And here's what I've discovered. When I serve out of devotion, it soon becomes a service out of delight. I get to. Look what he's letting me do. Look at the opportunity he's given me. I get to sing in the choir. They don't know I can't really carry a tune. They don't know I can't read music. I don't even know if, the, if it weren't for words on the paper, I wouldn't know if I had the paper right side up or upside down. But I get to stand there and I get to open my mouth and make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I get to teach a Sunday school class. I'm not sure why people come, 
gluttons for punishment. Maybe they come out of sympathy. I don't know, but I get to do it and I enjoy doing it. And I get to serve God and it's a delight to me. And can I say, if you'll serve out of devotion, if you'll learn to cultivate that love in your heart and serve God out of devotion, service will become not a drudgery, not a duty, not an obligation. It'll become a delight to you. And you'll say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You'll say, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to serve in the tents, uh, dwell in the tents of wickedness. There's the particulars, the problem, the prescription. But very quickly, I want to point out the peril. Or else. God always gives us a choice. You don't have to return. You don't have to repent. You don't have to remember. But there is an or else. Or else... I will come unto thee quickly or remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. John R. Rice wrote the song, Let the sun shine again. Let the flowers bloom again. Stir the embers of love in my heart. Holy Spirit, reprove, then embrace me again. Let the sun shine again in my heart. A great church, but they had a fatal flaw. They had left their first love. Oh, can I say, I think North Valley Baptist Church is the greatest church. But I can only look from the outside. I can't look at our heart. I thought this afternoon as I studied and prayed, I wonder, I wonder if maybe that's what happened to the great Highland Park Baptist Church. And their candlestick, their pastor was removed. And they're gone. I wonder if that's what happened. And I can begin to go down the list of church after church that at one time looked like the church of Ephesus from what I could see. But I wonder if they had left their first love. For a while, things continued on. Everything looked good. But if you go to Ephesus today, There's not a sign there was ever a church. Can I say we've been strategically located? We've most certainly been exceptionally blessed. Perhaps fiercely opposed from time to time. We're outwardly sound. Let's ask ourselves the question, are we tragically drifting? Tonight, he individual that hath an ear Let him, individual, hear what the Spirit saith. I said this afternoon, Lord, search my heart. Try me and see. Tonight, let's ask God to search our hearts. And then let's respond in obedience to his voice. Heavenly Father.
What a great church. What a somber warning. May we take heed. May we give ear. Tonight, may we go away determined that if we have left our first love, we most certainly will put forth our greatest effort to return that we might not experience the or else. Speak to our hearts and help us. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.